You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Worshipology podcast. This is a conversation all about living and leading worship. And today's guest is Ben Gowell. He is the executive worship pastor out at Christ Church of the Valley in Phoenix, Arizona. Ben, say what's up, man. Hey, what's up? <laughs> ben and I, we probably met how long ago? I mean, I feel like it was probably like a decade ago when I was out in Phoenix as a guest worship leader at CCV. That sounds right, man. Right. Yep, probably 10 years ago at least. Yeah, and I mean, dude, you're just such a cool guy. I, I love all the things that you guys are doing out at Christ Church of the Valley, releasing new music, writing songs, and uh, we're going to get into a little bit of all of that. But man, just for our listeners who may not be familiar with Ben Gowell, why don't you just share a little bit of your story? How'd you get started uh, with ministry, worship, playing guitar, all that fun stuff, Ben? Yeah, yeah, man. Happy to share and happy to be with you today, Curtis. I'll go back I think it's good. I'm going to go back to junior high, man. I'll try to make this as concise as I nice. can, but I think it's an important part of you know how I got started. Junior high, picked up my older brother's uh, PV electric guitar. I found it in my parents' garage, unused. He never oh, played it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty sweet guitar. Um, not really, <laughs> not really. It was it was available, so I picked it up. <laughs> you know, uh, had a buddy in school who was into Metallica, so he, we started learning Metallica songs. Mm. Uh, the Black Album, if you remember that. Any uh, mm-hmm. any any metal fans out there? Anyway, start oh, yeah. start learning Metallica. Then Green Day came around. Uh, all the early '90s stuff, man. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, um, good stuff. Yeah, started learning that. Started a band, and I was having fun. And then one day, I'm walking down. You know, grew up in the local church. My parents were amazing. Um, just really, really faithful, consistent. And I was walking down the hallway, and this student pastor. I wasn't involved in the youth group, but he was passing me in the hallway. He just said, "Hey, Ben, what do you think about?" coming to play your guitar in the youth worship band, which, you know, now we take for granted we got like these rock bands in our churches with, you know, electric guitars and drums. Back yeah. back in the day, man, this is like the early 90s, at least in my context, the worship team at the time was like upright piano, saxophone, conga, and a, wow. a few singers, right? I don't know if you can relate to that, mm. but that was the... Yeah, yeah. So electric guitar was like, I don't know what I'm going to do in the, on the worship team, man, this could be a this could <laughs> this could be a big mismatch. I've got my Marshall, yeah. my Marshall stack, my distortion pedal. Long story short, my start was like, all right, I'll come play. I accepted the invitation. Five minute hallway conversation, and um, I walk up to the first rehearsal, and the the chart on the stand is the song "As the Deer Pants for the Water," and wow, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know the chords. My guitar is loud. Uh, I'm sure it was it was terrible. I know it was terrible. In fact, I'm glad there's no like VHS tapes of that uh, running around uh, <laughs> these days. Nothing was captured. But hey, it, my start was and pre, I remember pre YouTube, pre YouTube. Thank God. Yeah, pre YouTube, all that stuff, man. There was no sharing. <laughs> I pro- you know, um, I remember the senior pastor popping his head in the door during rehearsals, like, "What the heck is happening to the worship team, man? We're we're like in trouble." <laughs> got the got the electric guitar in there. Anyways, that that space, man. I really look back as a catalytic moment. Even that conversation. I had with the student pastor in the hallway saying, hey, come on in. I had a space to learn and to fail and to grow and to um, really exercise this idea that that music could be used for encouraging people um, to look vertically and to lift a song to God. And that was new to me. And that that idea, as I saw that take shape, no matter how rough the, the, the execution of the music was, I saw people just sincerely wanting to connect with God and pour their heart out to him. And um, so that 
that really grew in me through my high school years. Uh, continued to lead worship. Wow. Got you know better on guitar, had some reps. But I was really drawn to the idea of corporate worship and just seeing people express that to the point where, you know, I went to college, Minneapolis, Minnesota, studied yeah. music, had a guitar degree, worship leading um, out of school. Uh, you know, met my wife. We got married my my senior year. I had one semester left. And then we started a church plant, uh, helped help start a church plant right after oh, wow. we graduated, set up, tear down St. Paul, Minnesota, amazing group of people, volunteers, no money, as you would expect. And it was a beautiful season, man. It was a beautiful season in movie theaters, middle school auditorium, uh, community center, just like gathering with a group of people, hearing God's word and trying to connect and worship together. So that was a that was a beautiful time. Taught me a lot about wow. um, just the importance of investing in people for their own sake uh, as yeah. as volunteers. Yeah. Money doesn't solve every issue. You have to you have to take a team approach and really invest in people. Um, and so did that for 10 years in tandem with that, I started to have some opportunities open up to go out on the road and be a touring guitar player with, uh, various different artists, Paul Balash, um, Sarah Groves, who's an amazing artist up in the twin cities, yeah, uh, and yeah, then eventually so Mike, Mike, Michael W. Smith and some others. So I had some really cool opportunities to play, do some producing and mixing. Um, and then, you know, I was on the road. I was, it, it was amazing. Got to see the world traveling with great people. But I'm, I remember a conversation I had with a bass player who at the time was about, you know, 10, 15 years older than me. And Jen and I were starting to have a family. We're st- she was pregnant with our first. And he just said, he said, Ben, you know, I've got these two kids who are in their teenage years and I, mm. I just don't have many memories with them. And um, wow. I'll never forget that conversation because I was loving being on the road, man. Great people, love the music. Um, I was gone probably, I don't know, 200 days a year seeing the world. Wow. And it was a, it was a wonderful season and um but I remember that conversation sparking something in me that man as we're starting a family I could I could miss this if I'm not careful. And so that wow. really started some discussions between Jen and I what would it look like to come off the road? I've always known I wanted to continue to invest, you know, more full time in the local church. So we made the move. We kind of not out of frustration yeah. um but really like we want we want to make sure that we are setting ourselves up for success in our family. And for me personally, as a, you know, trying to be a present father and husband Mm. made, made the move to Phoenix, Arizona, about the most polar opposite move we can make from Minneapolis. (laughs) I think I was going to say those are weather extreme differences on that spectrum. You know, maybe if I lived in Edmonton, it would have been worse, like up in Canada somewhere, but, but (laughs) Minneapolis to Phoenix, it's pretty close close, for sure, man. Winter's getting like 40 below sometimes Wow. Uh, to now like a hundred, we had like a 121 degree day here in Phoenix summer. Anyways. Yeah. Weather. It's like, how, how long <laughs> does your winter actually last in Phoenix? Is it like two weeks or what? You know, it feels just more like a long fall, uh, wow. which yeah. is, which is great. It never snows here. Um, and you can drive North mm. just as a side note, you can drive up North about an hour or two and you can experience elevation where there's snow and trees and all that stuff. So it's just pre- yeah. pretty cool environment. But anyways, we moved out here. I came on staff at CCV, uh, almost 13 years ago now and have wow. been plugged in here and our family, um, you know, we haven't, we haven't moved. We've been here the whole time, seen all kinds of amazing change and growth opportunities, but it's been a, it's been a wild ride and a wonderful season that we're grateful for. 
That's so cool, man. And I just want to kind of park here for a minute because, you know, priorities as a musician are so huge. And I think, you know, in the different seasons of life, you have different priorities that are higher than the others. But it's so interesting, Ben. We just did, uh, we're in this series right now. We do it every couple of years called At the Movies in our church. Yeah. And uh, we just highlighted the movie American Underdog, which tells the story of Kurt Warner. And, you know, he, yeah. he has this dream of making it to the NFL. And he, he just has this realization about halfway through the movie that, like, man, if my priority aren't in line getting my dream to make it to the NFL is nothing because I got nobody to share it with and hmm. you know telling the story about your friend who had basically been on the road and he kind of missed his kid's childhood like what is it about uh, priorities and getting to that place where you recognize you need a shift because I've gone through that in my own life and maybe somebody that's listening here is like you know I feel this tension between you know a dream and then reality I feel this tension between like you know, responsibility and, and, you know, where do I steward a dream? How do you get to that place? And, and what were some of those practical and spiritual ways that you were able to kind of uh, tackle that season and make that huge decision that I feel like um, just knowing you and seeing your story has paid dividends and just, you're going to reap those benefits long, long term with your family. But, but what, what are some of the practical ways that you kind of stepped into that decision with Jen? Yeah. Well, you know, I'd say, first of all, there's no one size fits all. I mean, there, there's, yeah. we, we yeah. all have to, we all have to pay attention to, uh, you know, first and foremost, the leading of the Holy spirit. I really believe that, but also That's just good. what, what are the signposts that are coming up in our lives that, that are, that are causing us to pause and take stock of what's most important. And, you know, some, wow. sometimes we're going so we're so fast paced. We're so driven oftentimes that we can miss those signposts along the way. So that's why I really, I point back to some of these conversations, that conversation with that, that friend at one point I was saddened by it, but I was also, I was also thinking, man, I'm really grateful that you shared that because, yeah, because yeah. that helped me to recognize the signpost of, Again, I wasn't frustrated. I was like, you know, God bless my wife. She was so supportive, but I was, I was running, man. I was like, I was living the dream in a sense. And, um, but, but, you know, sometimes those seasons can potentially blind us the most to trade what could be best for what's, you know, nice or good. And I, I, um, so I, so I think the important thing is just that we're, whether you do that in your, you know, daily devotional time or you have other methods of just making sure that you're slowing down enough to listen, uh, to recognize those moments where there may be an opportunity to make a shift. Uh, I think for so many of us, those moments come, they're, they're forced upon us by frustration or potentially burnout or, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, tired of this season and God can use those times. I mean, that, that happens to, that happens to many of us from time to time. Like, man, it's, it's clear it's time for a change, but I think it's, Mm. I think it's all the more important when we feel like we're thriving and man, things are, things are good. And we're grateful to just keep paying attention to the evolving seasons of our life. And I think for Jen and I, the conversations took that shape of like, you know, God, God, God has different seasons for us just because one thing has been really fruitful and beneficial for a season, um, that doesn't mean that that we ride that season out forever. Um, and again, I don't, I don't have a formula for that, but I think as we, as we had conversations, as we took stock looking at the next 10 years, what's going to matter. We knew that our daughter would be growing up. We had, you know, a son a couple years after that. And I think family certainly in our day and age is an easy thing to overlook in an era of, you know, trying to reach for opportunity, ambition, um, all those things that can be healthy drivers in us, 
Um, I just think the key is slowing down, having good conversations, not be moving at such a fast pace that you forget to, to look for the signposts. Man, that's really good. And I think, you know, this this verse comes to mind when you're sharing that. And this verse has actually popped up several times in the last couple of weeks. So this could be uh, one of those signposts, but it's 1 Timothy 4.16. It says, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere mm. in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And it's just this idea of like, pay close attention to what's happening in your life. You know, like, I think just like you shared, like sometimes it can feel like you're living in this dream, you're, you're achieving everything you want, but if you don't pay close attention and read in between the lines, you could actually be missing it. And I think it's just so powerful that you share that. I, I gotta ask you this though, you know, you've had the opportunity to play with, you know, Papa Losh and, and, and Michael W. and Sarah Grove, I'd love to hear just, you know, maybe a lesson that you learned kind of in those years on the road. Um, you know, I'm sure you played all different sorts of venues and I, I think your guitar tone, it, it speaks for itself, but, you know, just kind of having that level of excellence that got you there. Uh, what's, what's a lesson that like worship leaders, worship teams can kind of take um, from those moments on the road, just kind of uh, rubbing shoulders with some of the giants in the worship, worship world, man? Yeah, well, a couple things come to mind. I think um, one one thing that's good to keep in mind, and a lesson that I think is good for any anyone to to take stock of or learn, is that none of us are entitled to anything. Um, you know, I appreciate your so words good. about my tone and guitar playing, or whatever. But I, I I recognize there are thousands of great great musicians, guitar players um, out mm. there. Um, so these opportun whatever opportunities you have, yeah, you work hard, you commit yourself to it. You give your best. You try to be a nice, a kind person, <laughs> a good hang, a uh, good person <laughs> yeah, to be around. Yeah. That's huge, man. With the relational component, just making sure that you're there to to support uh, whatever artist you're working with. Um, I think that was a key thing for me to learn going to different um, situations, different artists was like, man, how can I serve um, this person that I'm with right now and their, you know, their platform? It might look different person to person. So I think yeah. being attuned to that. But I would say whatever opportunities you have, work hard, but just just it, it's good for us to keep in mind that, man, there's there's a lot that goes into it that um, should should cause us to pause and becoming prideful or like we've arrived. I remember wow. I remember hearing Phil yeah. Phil Keggy. Uh, we, we were playing with Paul up in Seattle and Phil Keggy was playing. And if you know Phil, if you ever heard him play, he's amazing. He's one of the legends, Legend. yeah. legends of guitar <laughs> playing. Um, you yeah. know, he's got four fingers on, on one of his hands and he's, he's, it's amazing what he's yeah. done, uh, just mm -hmm. to, you know, push through that. That's a whole separate thing of, of moving through adversity and, but he's an amazing player. I sat, sat out listening to Phil and I remember like half the time I was like, man, I'm really, really inspired. And the other half the time I was like, what am I doing, man? This is like, this is, <laughs> let me just put my guitar like, down yeah, I'm gonna, forever. I'm going to throw them on yeah. eBay and just see how, how, how quick I can move these things. Um, <laughs> No, but I was inspired. I remember talking to Phil afterwards, had the opportunity to go up to him and just, you know, uh, just want to thank him. And I was, I was inspired. Thanks for your playing. And I'll never forget yeah. his posture, man. His posture was like, gosh, I'm just so grateful to be doing this at all. And I want to keep on, you know, learning and growing. And boy, that, that posture struck me, no matter how much we achieve, no matter how, how many opportunities open up, uh, a thing that keeps us humble is recognizing I still have so much more to learn so many more areas that I can grow and we've ne we never arrive, man. We never arrive. And so that should help so us good. from becoming entitled or like we've earned or deserve something. All of that affects our posture, right? It affects how we relate to people. Um, it affects how we 
relate with a posture of gratitude rather than entitlement. And I think that wow, that's huge. That's huge on on worship teams. I don't care the stage size or the the the, the size of the audience. Anytime we step on a stage or have an opportunity to share our giftedness, whether it's music or in Man. other other capacities with a group of people, whether it be eight or eight thousand, that is a gift and that is an opportunity to steward with grace and thanksgiving that we even have that moment at all. And so I think that's so good. Yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's what I would say is the biggest lesson um, that I learned throughout is just be grateful for everything, never feel entitled and just watch what doors will open as you try to posture yourself that way. Yeah. And there's so many studies right now. I mean, obviously like, I feel like our country's kind of in this mental health, uh, you know, epidemic and uh, so many people are recognizing just different signs early on signs of, you know, just depression and anxiety, but man, gratitude has been proven through scientific studies of like, man, gratitude overcomes a lot of that. And people can actually um, come through breakthroughs with mental health by kind of focusing on that gratitude yeah. uh, attitude, not to be cheesy, but it's just so interesting <laughs> because, you know, when you're thankful for every moment, we have this thing that we say often on our team. It's like, we don't have to, we get to. That's right. And, and, and the fact that like, man, I get to come to a church, you know, and I know not everybody listening to this is on a staff at a church, but you know, the fact that you can, you know, serve on a worship team and, and not, you know, get your itch, scratch or scratch your itch, you know, playing a gig, but man, you get to worship the King of Kings and lead others in doing so and using your, your gifts and talents that he's given you and you give it right back to him. And yes. I think that's such a huge reminder to all of us to never stop being grateful, never get into this entitlement uh, sense of being, because that can really just ruin your joy. Yeah. And I've been there. Yeah. I mean, have you ever been there in, in that season, Ben, where it's just like, you know, you kind of just get used to it and get autopilot and go through the motions and of course because that's when that entitlement starts to creep of up. Course. How do you battle that if if you're if you're dealing with that right now? Like what what's one of the best ways other than just being more intentional about gratitude that that you can kind of get through that uh, entitlement season? Man? Yeah, well, of course I have, and I think we all have at some point. Whether yeah. whether we're yeah. in uh, church. Uh, the church environment, or even if those are, those who are listening are in a place of work entirely other than the church, I think this this principle, and I've thought about this for some time, that familiarity breeds contempt or it breeds complacency. Um, wow. we, yeah. we 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 see this in human nature. Okay, it's no secret in our um, in our careers, in our relationships, in our marriage, uh, in our marriages, in so many yeah. areas. When we become familiar with something, we are prone to take it for granted. So what, what advice, mm. what advice do I have? I mean, first of all, just knowing that that is a very real human condition, um, yeah. that we have to be aware of. Um, number two, I would, I, I, w- I would encourage again, um, slowing down and taking stock, whether you journal or write notes, mm. just take, take some moments to count your blessings. What you're talking about with mental health and gratitude, I, I do, you know, studies have shown, um, some things on that. And I, it, I would just say it's, it's not wishful thinking. It's not just like self-talk right. where you're fooling yourself. Um, this, this is really like, man, wherever you are, um, whatever the challenges are in your life, there are so many things that we have to be grateful for that are blessings um, that, that we have right in front of our eyes every day that we often look past mm. because the challenges, um, you know, for whatever reason, again, we are, we're kind of prone at times to become familiar and look at, you know, the critical side and what's wrong. 
And I just think it's a healthy exercise, man, to, to slow down, take stock. What do I have, man? My gosh, my wife, I've got my health right now. Um, we've got two yeah. beautiful, beautiful kids who are growing up and learning and surprising me every day. Um, I've got my, I can play my instrument still. And, you know, um, there's, yeah. uh, have wonderful friends and people who care about me and who I care about. There's, there's so many things that each of us can be grateful for. I think we got to slow down and take stock. And another thing I would say that has helped me is when we feel comfortable or that we've arrived, I'd go back to the, you know, the Phil Keggy <laughs> moment, recognize that there's always something new mm. to learn. And so sometimes when you go go, go see go see a concert that inspires you, get out there and watch someone who's further down the road than you. Um, yeah, that can do one of two things: it can make you feel insecure, or it can drive you to go, "Wow, man, I want to open myself up to continue to grow." And I think if you choose that latter path, boy, that helps you stave off this uh, this feeling of entitlement, and it pushes you more to a, a side of like, "Man, I want to get excited about." growing again like when i was back in seventh grade and i picked up the guitar i was so pumped to learn the next metallica tune and try to figure out <laughs> some new chords like i was so excited and the reality is no matter how proficient we get or how skilled we become there is always room for growth and sometimes for me that's really good man i'll try to pick up something brand new i'll give you an example real quick i i've always used uh, analog pedal board and amps um, for my guitar sounds through the years. And of course, all yeah. the digi digital technology has come a long way as well. My pedal board went down a couple weeks ago and I got one of these new quad cortex. It's like an all, Ooh, all in nice. one digital box, uh, which some of the guys at my church, the younger guitar players, man, they are geniuses with it. They're all using it with all kinds of, you know, MIDI wiring and, uh, to wonderful success. They got great tone, but I picked one up and I'm like, Hey guys, can you, can you come help me with this? Cause I'm a total beginner with this technology. <laughs> And yeah. they, they were awesome, man. I had one of our players come over to my house, spend an hour with me, just walking me through how to set up a rig. That's just really good for my soul to like say, I, I want to be a learner yeah. here. And even even with people who may wow. look up to me in, in some ways or who I, you know, I may be shepherding or, or you know, whatever. Um, gosh, I, you can learn from anywhere. So all that to say, wow. I think that that idea of being a lifelong learner is a great and and really focusing on that is a great way to stave off um, some of the entitlement that comes with just being overly familiar and comfortable. That's so good, man. And honestly, I think it speaks to your leadership too, that, you know, yeah, you've been playing guitar probably longer than, you know, some of your guys maybe have even been alive, but the fact that like you could sit down with them <laughs> and say, okay, you know, Hey, show me some of the stuff that you guys are doing here. Like, and we've got guys too, like, you know, everything from the Helix and Kemper and th that whole digital yeah. world has just gotten so much better in the guitar landscape. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm kind of like a, a novice electric guitarist. Like I mostly just play rhythm, but I want to learn too from guys that are way beyond my skill level. And a lot of those come with a younger age group, you know? And um, yeah. I think that's just really great advice for anybody listening to me. I'm blown away at like the young people at our church who are playing young people. That makes me really sound old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> dudes who are younger than I These am. These young are, whippersnappers. The whippersnappers, they're really getting after it. They got the eye of the tiger. <laughs> no, but I, I'm, I'm blown so away, funny, man, man. How, how fast th those who are really going after are progressing. And again, they, they if you're yeah. open to it, man, they, they'll sharpen you and challenge you. You just got to be open to it and not feel insecure about that, man. We, we can be learning from every angle. I'll give you one more example, then we can move on. I don't want to belabor this point, but um, another just personal story for me, back when I was a worship leader at that church plant up in the Twin Cities, yeah. had a wonderful couple in their 70s, um, Hap and Judy Wolf. 
Um, just they'd have Jen and I over to their nice. house for dinner. Okay, so Hap's in his 70s. This is the husband. And he says, you know, I've always wanted to learn banjo, uh, to play the banjo, but I never did. And so in his 70s, man, I, I kid you not, he picks up a Gibson banjo, and every week he's coming in with his chord book and just showing me new chords he's learning on the banjo. I love it. And then, you know, he passed a number of years later, and he left me his banjo, which is at my uh, my house. But that, wow. that serves, dude, that serves as a reminder to me that, like, even even as you age in years, you're never beyond um, picking up something new. And I just, I loved that. It stuck with me that he was brave enough, had the courage to go, all right, I'm going to be a beginner. He was having fun with it. Wow. So yeah, just remember there's always something new to learn no matter how, uh, what season of life you're in or how old you get. That's incredible, man. I love that story. And I got to ask you, are, are you uh, proficient on that banjo? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that follow-up question. Uh, <laughs> I, I am not. Uh, I have not. I have not taken that up as a challenge to myself to become a great banjo player. But I, I, t- I, I know some stuff, but I, I certainly can't uh, can't say that I'm a proficient banjo player. Man, that's one instrument I wish I could play like to a high level of skill because it sounds so good. It's man. such a cool sound. Well, dude, I got to ask you this because you've served at. You know, obviously, you're just talking about being at a church plant, and then now you're at Christ Church of the Valley, which is a massive mega church, uh, multi-site. Um, you know, so kind of having both of those worlds and contexts in your in your back pocket. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the worship culture and just kind of some of the things that you guys are really intentional about in your worship life at Christ Church of the Valley, and, and give a little snapshot of what that church is all about. And how many campuses are you guys at right now? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So we're, uh, there's 16 campuses here. Um, wow. which we've, you know, really when I came on in 2011, we were about to launch our first multi-site. So it's been quite a journey these past 12, 13 years, um, launch, wow. launching those campuses We're all, all 16 of them at this time are in the Phoenix Valley area. The church was originally planted in 1981 by Don Wilson. Um, we went through a, uh, in the midst of this, a senior leader transition, founding pastor, retiring, uh, Ashley Woldridge is mm-hmm. our, our senior pastor since 2017, so gone through a, a pretty major transition, which was you know awesome and learned learned so much through that. But that's you know our vision is to reach the Phoenix Valley for Christ. We know we can't do that alone. We have a uh, uh, try to have a large heartbeat for serving and equipping other churches um, in our city. Yeah. Uh, so, but that that's our vision. Our mission is to you know re, uh, reach people for Christ. You know, train believers to become disciples and send disciples to impact the world, um, mm. win people to Christ, train them to become disciples and send them to impact the world. So yeah, it's, it's been amazing, man, to see the, see the growth, our weekend services. Um, we have a heavy emphasis on community. So if you come to any of our campuses in the Phoenix area, you'll see, um, you know, food, food service tables set up. Of course, in Phoenix, we have pretty good weather for most of the year. So we, we have yeah. a high emphasis on not just the hour long service, um, which I'll talk about that in a moment, but really to encourage people to connect in relationship um, beyond that time. So it's it's a pretty unique thing, and it's been cool to see that in these environments, um, whatever campus you go to, there's people not just coming and then leaving, um, but coming and staying, sharing a meal, having conversations, letting their kids play. Um, it's it's been pretty cool to to watch. It's one of my favorite parts of our culture. And environment. That's awesome. So that's that's really important to us. Um, as far as the weekend experience, you know, we have a heavy emphasis, obviously, on teaching God's word, authentic, uh, leading people in authentic worship, and encouraging them to connect with God. And then we share communion together mm. every week. That's a part of our you know liturgy, wow. if you will, our weekly routine. 
And then, you know, there's, there's creative elements beyond that, but those are kind of our three staples. Um, and worship is a really important part of what we do. Um, you know, for year, for year, as far as our original writing, you mentioned and how that's kind of evolved through the years, the way I see it is, you know, our church, um, as many churches have, have benefited from the work of songwriters digging in and investing for years, for decades in the past. Um, people yeah. like Paul and Matt Redman and, and many other churches, Elevation and you name it, there's so many churches doing it now, but we, we've benefited from that. And as the church has grown uh, and the team has expanded, um, we really view this as, I think God is opening the door for for us to help contribute back to the Big C local church with our writing, mm. um, with our music to be a, to be a blessing and a benefit to other churches now. So that's really see it as a as a stewardship path um, as God has given us these these people these opportunities that we're gonna we're gonna dig in and look to craft and write um, really these prayers set to melody um, yeah. for the local church to lift up. They're songs. We write first for our community, but our prayer is always that it will go uh, away from us as well and be a blessing to other churches. So that's that's a that's an important part of our culture. And really, that that's that's top down. I mean, that's from our uh, senior senior leader. Anything that we make, we're not looking to monetize anything. Um, mm-hmm. Our desire is whatever we whatever we would create here. Um, any any church, it's it's a resource. Um, it's absolutely available for no cost. We're not the only church that does this, but it's a big part of our heartbeat to just say, how can we resource other other churches, whether in Phoenix or elsewhere? Wow, that's so cool, man. What is the rhythm like for you guys when it comes to writing and recording? And and then kind of is that uh, something that uh, is, I can't imagine how many people serve on the total worship team across six campuses. Um, how many songwriters would you say you have in that collective uh, of different worship teams? Boy. But yeah, what's what what is the rhythm of you guys is getting together and writing? Yeah, well, there's you know I was when we started it out, Curtis. I was pretty close to it in terms of our first few albums, and as the team has grown too, I, there too, um, we've had great young leaders step in, producers, mix engineers, um, who have who have yeah. really continued to carry the torch. So as far as as far as writing, um, that's a really open, it's open to the whole community. We don't have just like a couple writers who do all the writing. We definitely, we certainly have a few who are, you know, very proficient in it, but it's been cool to see the collaboration. Um, many of the songs are co-written by multiple leaders. We do song share sessions. The team does those where they will bring in um, specifically songs that we've been working on, occasionally do a writing retreat. But oftentimes, man, we try to make it a regular part of our rhythm that instead of just preparing for one day or let's just you know save up these ideas for one day, let's, let's, let's have a constant routine of writing. So weekly, you got an idea that comes to you, man, get with someone, come up, track a demo. And so that's, we try to encourage that that's co- cool. that constantly. So we're not writing just for a project. We're trying to have writing be a regular part of our rhythm so that it really, any project we do, any EP or a single, it comes out of the overflow of what's already taking place in the community. And cer- wow. certainly we have, we'll, we'll really have good. some targets we shoot for, like, hey, we want to do one live record, you know, every couple years. Going to do, you know, the team's got a really good okay. schedule and rhythm for our releases. We have a Christmas EP coming out this, you know, this next month. But all of that with the targets, it's the cu- culturally speaking, 
we want it to be out of the overflow of what's taking place every week. That's really good, man. And you guys have kind of like a studio there on campus where you can come and track those demos and do some writing and kind of have that environment that would inspire people to do more of the creative side of things? We do, man. So that that was a part of me moving to Phoenix um, was to kind of help get that up and running. So that was, you know, by the time wow. by the time we moved from Minneapolis, a big part of my work was producing and mixing. Had a studio that I would do that in um, in Minneapolis. And so coming out here, uh, you know, for the first year, I just brought my home studio up in what was then like an office and a closet for a isolation room. Yeah, and yeah. we just started, man. We just started tracking songs, capturing them, and then about a year and a half, two years in, uh, we invested in building out, you know, more of a formal space that has isolation rooms for. You know, it's not huge, but we got a great drum room, we got a control room, and then an isolation booth, um, and that does serve as not only a really functional space for capturing recordings but also a space of where the where the team wants to come where they want to write i'm sitting yeah. i'm actually sitting in the drum room right now as i talk to you look looking at keyboards and there's a b3 organ over here there's a drum kit set up with all oh, all, nice. all the mics are in place so we try to you know leave this space set up and ready to go when inspiration hits for the creative process yeah. rather than it becoming kind of overrun with the administration or excessive meetings or desks everywhere. This is a space we try to keep um, uh, available for the creative process. And I, it's been such a joy to see through the years as I come up here, uh, wander in the team, working on songs, tracking something for the weekend, working on new material for, mm. for an album. It really is used in that way. And I think a part of that is just creating an environment. It doesn't have to be a big space again, but just an environment that is welcoming to the creative process. That matters so much. It can look different. Gosh, man, yeah. I'll even, like my home studio, I still have at my house. And it hit me about a year ago, like, dang, this space used to be cool. And now I've got like manila folders <laughs> everywhere. I got like bills yep. sitting on the table. I got a bunch of junk in here. So I just went through like, you know what? I'm going to clean wow. all this stuff up and go back to my little space being about what it was intended for in the first place, a space of inspiration yeah. and creativity. And man, that made such it it made such a difference. It actually surprised me when I walked into the room and the lighting and it's clean and my amps are set up. It's like, man, I want to create. So all that to say, I think just paying attention to our spaces, especially when it comes to pulling the creative process out of us and inspiring us, that's really important. That's really key, Ben. I think you just kind of hit something for me personal too, because I've got a home studio set up and I, you know, there's, there's times where I just look at it. I'm like, yeah, this is just kind of bleh. But when you've been in those rooms that just has amazing mood lighting, there's instruments all across the wall. It does yep. something in your spirit that just kind of stirs you up to be like, you know what, let me pick up one of these guitars, see if I can come up with a riff right now. And I think for those teams that, you know, you want to create that environment where creativity is, is not just welcome, but it's encouraged all the time. I think pay close attention to your environments, man. What, what else does that speak when That's we right. talk about our sanctuaries, when we talk about our lobbies, when we talk about our hallways, like, man, because environment is so key. And that's Absolutely. one of the things that I noticed that when I was out there at CCV. You guys seem intentional about all of your spaces. I remember seeing one of the outdoor patios that had, you know, TV set up and couches and grills. And I mean, I think yeah. you guys run like a sports program for kids too, right? We Am do. Right We've about got that? about, yeah, yeah, we do. We have about 20,000 
uh, youth in, uh, from from the Phoenix metro area involved in our sports program. It's called Stars um, wow. on every campus, mostly soccer, but we have some basketball and some flag football as well. About seventy, I believe the number is about seventy percent of those youth are not actively involved in our church. And so it really is an environment, it's like an on-ramp for people to experience community, um, have a sports program that's, you know, we pray, they pray after games. We're not overly heavy handed there with like a message or anything, you know, but it's an on-ramp for people to experience community and then maybe take a trip across the parking lot to see what the church is all about. So it's been, it's been hugely successful. It's one of the things that, because I was a sports guy growing up too. I've played baseball and basketball. So I've, I've always loved that. And, and coming here and visiting, it really caught my attention. Like, man, this is, this is killer. And so that was one of the wow. things that, that stirred Jen and I about moving out here. Um, but yeah, that continues to grow. And whenever we launch a campus, there's a couple staples that we really won't launch a campus without. One is the Star Sports Program to get the community actively engaged, aware that we're, we're there. Uh, and then those outdoor environments, you mentioned, you know, the barbecue and the TVs. Um, we, yeah. we do. Every campus we've got, you know, there, there'll be sports games on the TVs outside. There'll be a grill where we're serving just like hamburgers and hot dogs. It's usually nothing. There's nothing fancy about it. It's just it creates an yeah. environment where people can feel welcome. And again, I think of um, you know, those who, who might be new to church who are wondering like, gosh, are they going to make me do something weird or that I'm uncomfortable with, yeah. that that just kind of sets the tone for like, oh, you got sports on and there's people hanging and grabbing a meal. That doesn't look too different yep. from from my life. Like, <laughs> again, mm. we try to, try to be intentional with these little on-ramps that, that hopefully reinforce and say, man, you're welcome here and we're glad you're here. Make yourself comfortable. You know, in, in a day and age that's increasingly skeptical about the church, things like that just make it so easy to invite people to church. You know, it's like some of the things that we do here in the Richmond area, being in Virginia, I mean, we don't have the weather that you guys have year round, but we do have uh, some really cool, we get snow up here. I don't know if you guys get snow this, this Christmas season or not. <laughs> no, no. In Phoenix, we, we almost never see snow at all, which is, you know, uh, we go up North. Yeah, like I said, yeah. if you go up North to Flagstaff, which is like a two hour drive, they got skiing oh, and snow. Beautiful. It's like 7,000 feet. So it's, we get a taste of it. But, but using your environment to like invite the people that are right there in your community and don't make it weird for them. Don't make it hard. I mean, man, the gospel was open and accessible to everybody. And Jesus hung out at Wells more than he did in right. the synagogues. He right. wanted to get around the people. Man. That's right. And I think that's so key what you guys are doing there. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think I think there too, we have to always be putting ourselves, looking through the lens. If somebody, like we've been in church, you and I, for decades, man. And we've, you know, yeah, so we're very, yeah. we're very like comfortable with the form and the, you know, the environment. We have to, we have to look through the lens intentionally of like, what would it, what would it be like to be somebody who's never come to church, who's coming in and just, just what are they going to experience? Um, I'll think about that even as mm. I'm leading worship from the stage. I'll oftentimes try to remind myself as I step out on the stage step up to the microphone, I'm going to share something. I'm trying to, here's what I'm trying to think about. There's there's people who will sit down front and man, they're in, they're ready to go. You know, they've come in like, I can't wait to sing and worship. And I love that. I see that um, all throughout our church. Yep. But I'm also trying to be really mindful about like, who's the, who's the dude who's maybe like, he travels for business. His wife has been asking him to come to church for years. And he's he's like, wow. man, I, I'm I, no, I'm good. I'm, that's not my thing. And then one week, man, one week, he's like, all right, you, you wore me down or like God's moving on his heart. Okay, I'll show up. What am I saying? Mm. Gosh, Holy Spirit, help us all. But what are we saying 
to make sure that we are continuing that on-ramp of connection with those who don't know our form. They don't know communion or how a worship set flows. Wow. How can I create some bridges, intentionally create some bridges to those for whom this is all new? And I just think that's a good thing for us to to ask ourselves, to pray for God's help with. Otherwise, we get, we get pretty comfortable um, in our form and routines. And if, I think if we're not careful, we can potentially exclude um, some people who are really just looking for a bridge and they're open. Wow. That's really good, Ben. And I, I wanted to ask you this earlier too, with, with your guys writing original worship songs, what does that look like as you introduce those on a weekly basis? Or is it kind of like, what's your guys kind of ratio to original songs and then maybe songs that might be more well-known? Do you guys yeah. do older hymns? You know, all of that, keeping in mind what you just said, uh, intentionally creating bridges to the unbeliever. That's really good. Yeah. So we do a, we do a, a good mix of, of songs we've written in-house as well as songs that other churches have written. Um, you know, we, mm-hmm. through the years, we've done more and more of our material as we just have more and more writing happening. But it's continued to remain important to us that, that we don't just do our music. Like, we've got to be open to other great songs that, that are coming out of the church. And so, man, we lean into that as well. Um, gosh, so many great songs we've used that have come out of other churches in recent years. But I'd say we do a good mm. mix. Um, we will not shy away from doing a, a classic hymn. That's actually really close to my heart. Um, I just did yeah. kind of a passion project of uh, just instrumental, um, 12, 12 or 13 instrumental hymns on the guitar for me- meditation and reflection. Um, so I love the love it. I love the old hymns. It's funny, man. Um, Blessed Assurance and uh, Amazing Grace and uh, It Is Well. Some of these songs... <laughs> You know that you and I maybe grew up with, or at least I did. Uh, yep, you know they're yep, they're like yep. new they're like new songs for a lot of people, man, especially the uh, oh, yeah. young people students. So it's like, wow, what was that song? That was killer. And as you know, so many of the so many <laughs> of the words in those are, gosh, unbelievably rich. And so you know I, we don't we don't shy away from that. We might arrange it a little differently, or you know do do some different uh, chord changes or whatever, or it might be totally traditional. But yeah, hymns. Modern music. Sometimes what we've been doing recently is going back to some worship songs that maybe ran their course uh, 10, 15 years ago. Like we did, oh gosh, what was one we did recently? We did a song, uh, we did Mighty to Save in our staff meeting oh, um, nice. last week. We've done a few others. I'm trying to play some. We did, I think, Draw Me Close to You. Remember that song? Oh my gosh, that's, I love that's, that song. I know, man. man, me too. It's been interesting to like... Takes Go, me back to my high school. Totally, years. totally. But again, there's some there's some rich songs and rich theology that we don't yeah. we don't even have to leave behind altogether from 10, 15 years ago. So that's that's maybe more recently been a fun thing to like dive into and and look at like, man, could there be a resurgence of some of these songs that we've maybe put to rest for a while? So as far as yeah. as far as introducing new songs, Curtis, um, we will tr- we will do our best to usually do it like a teach teach the chorus. Um or a portion of the song cool. before we even lead it for the first time. So letting people know, hey, and we're going to teach you a new song. Talks about this, the faithfulness of God through every generation. Um, Want to teach you the chorus. Goes like this. And then just on acoustic guitar or keyboard, sing it very simply. We don't do that every time, but a lot of the time it's a, it's a really helpful on-ramp to get that melody in front of people. And then, yeah. and then once the band gets going and there's all the lights and the other <laughs> things, they've got a little bit of a hook that they can hang their hat on as far as that melody that they've heard, at least of the chorus. When we do a song, we'll do it usually two weeks in a row, uh, maybe give it a break for a week okay. and then bring it back on the fourth week. Uh, again, that's not doctrine, nice. but that's, that seems to be like, let's give this song the best chance of winning 
because we know any new song, there's not going to be a lot of singing because people are just learning it, right? So yeah. we find that rhythm to be helpful to say like, hey, let's give it a month, maybe three times on in the month, and then let's see how's it landing, how's it hitting. I think mm. sometimes we can judge too quickly whether a song is landing or not um, based off of just, just leading it one time. We look for engagement cues like hands up or people's mouths moving. And we got yeah. we got to give some grace there. Like, hey, we're going to sing this a couple times and people aren't going to look engaged. Um, they're going to be learning it. They're going to be taking it in. And so let's... let's That's good. I would just encourage people, give yourselves a little bit of time before you cut a song as not landing. And I imagine that's probably how you guys get to that place where it's like, okay, look, we wrote 25 songs, 30 songs over the course of this last year. These are the five that people won't stop talking about. These are the five that maybe need to go back to the studio, get reworked. What does that process look like in taking those from a Sunday morning to a recording studio? Yeah, no, that's good. We, we will, um, you know, oftentimes it's, if it's an original song, we will uh, have really, you know, a lot of conversation around it before we even introduce it. We don't just hap ha yeah. haphazardly try a bunch of things out. We want to have a a pretty high collective level of confidence that, like, man, I think this is a song our church is going to get behind and it's going to mm. it's going to resonate with them. So those are conversations that we have. We'll introduce a song, but yeah, after we do that, we'll debrief. Man, how did that how did that hit? Maybe we maybe we track like a a really good demo of the song for our campus teams to learn and work with. Um, but then we'll evaluate it. Maybe there's a line or a bit of the melody that we tweak. Um, and those, those reps are always really good because you can see, you know, it's one thing to play a song in the studio or to track a song, but it's, it's a totally another thing, as you know, to get in front of people oh, yeah. and to really like feel that moment in how the song is landing with a live band. Um, that tells you so much. So I think you just, you have a high level confidence, lead the song and then pay attention to... Um, you know, how you feel like it's landing again, not just looking at engagement cues, like, oh, it didn't seem like people were raising their hands. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. give that some time, maybe but just, just the form, the arc, the dynamic flow, um, yeah. you know, the heartbeat of the content Did you, were you connected to it? Do you feel like people were, were connecting to it? And then you, you listen to people afterwards mm. for sure. You hear like, man, that song really hit me or touched me. Um, and so all those are just helpful guides to say, man, I think this is a song that we can believe in and continue on and track or commit to a, a project at some point. Yeah, man, I think that's a great guide for any church out there that's kind of looking at taking that step into songwriting and recording. Yep. Uh, I love that. Do it two weeks in a row, give it a breath, and then try it again and give grace as people are learning the song, but also be open to the cues and 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 follow your intuition on that. That's really good, man. Ben, there's so much here, man. I feel like I, I drank from a fire hose right now. Um, but I got one more question for you, dude. Just just in our, our remaining time, uh, it's something that I've just been asking uh, worship worship leaders and, and worship pastors and, and now executives pastors um man what's the holy spirit speaking to you right now kind of a for such a time as this what what has just kind of been on repeat in your prayer life uh something that can really encourage and inspire people as they're listening today that's good well i would say i'd share a couple things if i could i think the importance of corporate worship um has never been greater um wow. i think we have lived in a time through these past number of years where people have um, potentially become more isolated than ever. Um, yep. Isolated from relationships. Certainly, in 2020, there was an you know a element of necessity to that for uh, the season that we were in. But I think for a lot of people, um, there is a deep hunger for connection 
and interpersonal relationship and being an authentic community. We have so many versions of community light out there, and I don't want to knock anything, but whether it's you know social media platforms or uh, even online church, as wonderful as it is, um, you know forums mm. on the internet. There's so many. There's so many versions of community, which some of those are wonderful, man. I, I think some of that can be great, but I think people are really, really hungry for uh, just man authentic relationships like never before and so i think the local yeah. the local church is a place where whatever your form or your environments are to to help facilitate a place where people can find that authentic community as they seek to follow jesus or learn more about what that journey looks like and corporate worship mm. there's nothing you know i've i've been leading worship now and been in the church for 20 plus years there's nothing that um that speaks to the unity of the church and the power in that unity than when we come together and sing about the character of God, declare who he is, yeah. reaffirm our commitment to him and to um, uh, our worship of him and acknowledgement of his sovereignty. That, mm. that, that does something in our hearts, not just vertically, but as we gather together to be reminded we're not alone on this journey and we have help and we are going to be called upon to use our gifts to help others on the journey. There's a beauty in that that I think is exemplified in corporate worship. As we sing these songs, not only do I think it's edifying for the church, but even as I was talking about creating an on-ramp for new people, I think unapologetic, spirit-led worship um, and leading in that regard is highly attractive to a world yeah. that is in that, a world that sees so much division, so much us mm. us versus them, your thing versus my thing, so much binary thinking, dualistic thinking. Um, that this yeah. this is a place where we we see a unity that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a that picture of seeing our corporate worship environments and people taking part earnestly in this is attractive to people. I think it is an on ramp. It serves as a reminder that the church isn't going anywhere, it's alive and mm. well. Um, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Uh, Come it's, on. it's God's idea. It's not ours. It's not, you know, wor yeah, worship, yeah. this whole form of worship isn't something that came out with, you know, any of us, you know, Hillsong or Delirious <laughs> or uh, Maranatha. It's not something that was invented yeah. 20, 30 years ago. This has been something that's going, been going on for thousands of years, from the Psalms of David to Paul's reminder in the New Testament to encourage one another with Psalms, hymns, and Let's spiritual go. songs. Yeah. So I think it's a good reminder. We are we are joining with the saints through the ages in, in something that um, God has ordained, the building of his church. We're invited into it. And so my, my prayer, back to your question, my prayer is that the church would be committed to unity. As you read Paul's epistles, he's pleading with these churches in Ephesus and Galatians. Pretty much, it seems like almost every letter he starts with, man, I just encourage you guys, like, get past your differences, stay united for the cause of Christ. Don't let little things come between you. Don't get hung up on these small little hills that you want to die on because of your own ego, your own ambition, your, wow. your own personal preferences. Um yeah. But but may we as a church maybe lay down some of our personal preferences so as to be mm. in, in unity, in step with each other and with the Holy Spirit. And I just think, I hope that's an encouragement. I think there's many teams that I see. As I see church teams, I, I, I don't see a lack of talent out there. I don't see a lack of, man, heart, yeah. heart to honor God. 
what I what I do hope will continue to grow is a sense of preferring one another, celebrating one another, not comparing ourselves to one another, and in so doing, wow. finding a new level of unity as we partner uh, in this most incredible work of of being kingdom builders. Ben, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I think now is a time where the world needs to see the light of Christ and the hope of the world, which is the local church. Yeah. You guys are doing incredible things. I'm inspired by you. I'm inspired by this conversation. Uh, listen, we're going to be posting uh, a link to Pillars of Tradition. I can't wait to listen to the whole thing myself. Uh, looking forward to this Christmas EP that CCV is putting out. And uh, man, just appreciate your time. Appreciate your wisdom and your insight today. Uh, ben. What a joy, man. It's been an honor, man. Love talking to you, Curtis. Thank you. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.